Hey guys, Pastor Ben. Thank you for joining us here on FCC Online. We are truly thankful and appreciate you taking the time to watch and listen to our messages. One thing that I do want to encourage you to do is as you're watching these, please don't allow these to be your primary resource in your spiritual journey and your walk with Jesus. Keep these as a supplement to what you do on a weekly basis from the gathering, uh, being connected, being part of a life of a local church body. We want these to bless you. We want these messages and these videos to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. But please do not allow these to replace anything that you have to do with a local church body. Today we're going to continue our study in that same spirit. We're going to be looking at ungrieved. Okay, that's the title of the message today is Ungrieved. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to primarily be circling around one verse. But before we get there, there is a verse that starts chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians that says this, that, you know, be imitators of Christ. So Paul is writing uh, to the church at Ephesus and to all the other churches in the Asia, Asia Minor province, which this would have gone through. And his instruction leading off this fifth chapter is what he's been leading up to is be imitators of Christ. Now, a, a little bit of a story and kind of how I feel as I'm trying to move towards being Christ-like because there are times that I feel like I do okay in imitating Christ. And then there's other a lot of times that I feel like I don't. Like, I just fall short and I kind of get disappointed. Uh, several weeks ago, uh, I don't know how many of you see him, but Kim and I have one of our great nephews that usually spends the night with us on Saturday night. He comes to church with us on Sunday morning. Uh, he has to come in here uh, first before doing anything else to give me a high five. And if I'm up on stage, he runs up here and he high fives me. I'm enjoying it while I can because I'm still cool to him. And as all of you well know, I'm not cool. Okay? So at some point, he will grow out of this and realize that I'm not cool. But my wife had him out shopping a couple of Saturday nights ago. And he was in this like Spider-Man outfit that we had, you know? So they were out there, they were in public. He was, it, it, was, it wasn't like a full-on costume, but it was Spider-Man stuff. And, and they're walking up and down the aisles and Kim starts talking uh, to a lady because that's what she does. I don't understand the concept of talking to people in public that I don't know, but she does that kind of stuff. So, you know, she's sitting there and she engages in conversation with Jax and she goes, oh, look at you, how cute is that? You're like, you're like a little Spider-Man, aren't you? And he just looked at her, and his response was, I just want to be Batman. <laughs> so like, same, buddy. I just want to be Batman. And that's kind of how sometimes when I read that passage, be imitators of Christ, you know, if somebody even, if I do something even halfway decent, they're like, I just, I just want to be more like Jesus. You know, it's just like, I thought that was so cute. I just want to be Batman. <laughs> so that's my new life motto. Anytime something happens, I just say, I just want to be bad, man. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And then verse 1, chapter 5, opens with this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Pray with me if you would this morning. Father, we just thank you for another opportunity to gather as a church family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as people who are seeking to know you and to know you more. And I pray that uh, everything that we have done up until this point has been glorifying to you and been pointed directly to you. Father, I ask that in this time of us examining your words, uh, that you would uh, help to enlighten us, that you would open our minds, open our hearts, open our understanding uh, to what you would have to say to us and teach us this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would quicken uh, the hearing of the listeners and that you would use my voice as your instrument to deliver God's Word rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage here, Paul begins to look at some of what we would consider do's, don'ts, you know, kind of a little bit more of imperatives in our lives uh, that, hey, these are things you should be doing or these are things you shouldn't be doing. And we learn from these, right? I like when things are nice and spelled out for me. Like, I'm a simple-minded kind of guy. If you want me to learn a lesson, uh, if you want to teach me something, then I need you to teach it to me like I'm on like a first-grade level. Right? I, 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 that's the way I learn. I, I, I benefit from that. And that's what Paul's doing here is he's helping us by telling us these are the don'ts. These are the things you don't need to do. And here's some things that you should be doing. But wrapped up in the middle of it is really the core. And that's what we're going to be looking at a little bit later in this message. But that is, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we see terms like grieve, quench, we covered that a little bit, uh, and, and sometimes we get lost in the semantics of this, but I, I really hope at the heart of this message today that we kind of get to the foundation of what it means to both quench, to both grieve uh, the Holy Spirit and, and how we can avoid doing that. Uh, if you uh, would, turn with me uh, to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 3 really quickly. We'll be starting in verse 13. This is the account of the baptizing of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him and said, Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, he immediately went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, 
And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest and remain on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is an account of where Jesus was baptized. And something really significant happens here because we see the Holy Spirit descend from heaven. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, this is nothing new. Like in the Old Testament, there's several accounts of when Holy Spirit would come from heaven and, and move upon someone, inspire someone, lead them, guide them, give them strength, do, do something supernatural. But the difference between this account and what we see in the Old Testament is the word remain. Because it said that the, the, the heavens parted, that the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, and on Jesus He remained. Now that's totally new territory. Because we see people gifted by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We see them moved. We see them inspired. We see them strengthened. We see all of these things happening in the Old Testament. But the thing that happened in the Old Testament was every time the Holy Spirit descended, eventually, He went back. So every time in the Old Testament when He would descend, He would also ascend at some point. But here, we see the difference. We see the new covenant and how it functions before Jesus was even crucified because the Spirit descended upon Him in the form of a dove, but yet He remained. It's a big deal. And we're going to kind of unpack why it's a big deal as we go along here. But I want to use some imagery that the Old Testament or the, the New Testament in the book of Matthew uses, and we can see it in a couple different places. Sometimes God's Holy Spirit is described as a dove. Anybody in here have many dealings with like doves? Like, have you been exposed to them a whole lot? Like, have you ever had one as a pet? I mean, I don't know if you all know. Did you all know, and, and I'm not going to try to get too deeply into this because I'm not for certain what RT is going to preach on next Sunday. He does, he does a lot with uh, uh, what he calls pigeon religion. The differences between like a dove and a pigeon. Like anatomically, they're the same thing. They look different in their outside color, but like you open them up and everything, they're the exact same. But they couldn't be two more different creatures in, in the way that they act. A pigeon, have you ever like pigeons in a parking lot? Like I had one buzz my head the other day at Rule King. And I'm pretty sure it was intentional. Because I was walking by a dude that was feeding them. And I walked past and apparently I didn't pay the food tax to walk through their area. So I was giving a warning shot across the bow of my forehead. That if I were to ever dare go through there again, best be paying the toll. But a dove is completely like a pigeon, man, is just bold. It's brash. It's audacious. It's just there in your face. A dove's completely the opposite, right? It's gentle. It's kind of skittish. You know, they're, they're really, it's hard to get close to a dove. But yet, that's how Scripture even Holy Spirit, who inspired Scripture, that's the way He decided to describe Himself. 
is as a dove. And one of the the ways, again, simple-minded person here, but one of the ways that I can relate to this with Holy Spirit in my life is that if at this moment, if this ceiling were to open up, which it may, and a dove come down and rest upon my shoulder, I'm not going to be walking around up here nearly as much as what I normally do. Right? If I want that dove to remain on my shoulder, then I'm going to, everything I do is going to be with that dove in mind. Does that make sense? Like if I want it to stay right here, then this step right here, I'm going to be thinking about the dove. I'm going to be walking really easily. If I'm going down the steps, I'm going to be going down the steps, not too quickly, because the dove may, may not stay there. If I come back up, doing that and you all love to do this i know that there's some of you that keep count and there may be even a betting pool happening of how close i'm going to get to the edge of this stage without looking down as i continue to walk back and forth i know what the over under is okay so i get it but if i'm doing this then every step that i take is with the dove in mind why because i don't want the dove to leave I don't want to spook the dove. I don't want to scare it off. And now listen, you may say that, well, I don't know if I like that about this. But what the Holy Spirit has given us a lesson there in using that as a descriptor is that there are times in our life that the Holy Spirit is sensitive. He is sensitive. Well, I don't know if I like that about the Holy Spirit or not. I'm sorry. It's what we got. So every step that we need to be taking should be with the dove in mind. Is what I'm saying causing, is it taking a chance on the dove leaving? And again, I'm trying to, I'm not getting into a whole lot of detail here because I'm not saying that because that God's Holy Spirit departs from us. Okay, because we see that in Ephesians 5 1 it says that for whom we are sealed until the day of redemption. But if we're talking about Holy Spirit as like a person, he's incredibly sensitive. And that's one of the things that I think that we can learn if we go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. This is the one that I really kind of want to hone in. So now that we've got this imagery of a dove and the dove staying on our shoulder, if we want the dove to remain there, then everything we do is done with the dove in mind. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So here's the thing. We can get caught up, like I said earlier, we can get really caught up in a lot of semantics. There have been church splits. There's been division in the body. There's been chasms developed amongst uh, people who call Christ Lord because of arguments and conversations of things like, well, what's the difference between quenching the Spirit and grieving the Spirit? What I want to submit to you this morning is I would like for us to view God's Holy Spirit as an adjective, as a descriptor. In His name, God's Holy Spirit. What is the one word in there that gives us a description of who He is? Holy. Right? Like, in His name, we find out who He is. We find out the personhood 
And now listen, we can look and we can say that, you know, God uh, maybe shouldn't have allowed his spirit to be so emotional, so sensitive. Again, I'm sorry. That's the Holy Spirit we've got. That's dwelling in us. And that's the beautiful part is that not only did the Spirit come and descend upon Jesus and remain, the moment that we confessed, the moment that we gave our heart to Jesus, the moment that we surrendered our lives, the moment that we went into the watery grave, the moment when we gave everything we have to Jesus, guess what happens? The Spirit descends upon us as well. And He remains. And if we look, and if we want to get real kind of clear as to what grieves the Spirit, what quenches the Spirit, Paul gives us, he gave us last week in 1 Thessalonians 5, a little bit of a list of what quenches the Spirit and what doesn't. He gives us a list this week in Ephesians 4 of what grieves the Spirit and what doesn't. Here's what I want to say to you this morning, because this is how I relate it in my mind, and I think it may help you as well. If you're doing something, if you're saying something, if you're acting out in a way, if if you're responding, if something going on in your life ask yourself this question is what i'm doing what i'm saying how i'm acting is it holy is it holy if the answer is no then you're grieving the holy spirit the answer is no then you're quenching the holy spirit Because holy is who He is. And anything other than holy doesn't allow Him to be as free and operational in your life as what He should be. Does that make sense? You know, we, we find out in Scripture it says that the kingdom of God is not in meat or drink, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness. Peace, joy, holiness. These are the things that we need to make sure that we're concentrating on. Because the moment that something comes out of my mouth that is not holy, guess what happens? Dove flies off. The moment that I act with a bad attitude or in a bad way or a way that is not Christ-like, guess what happens? Dove flies off. When we're doing these things, we are not speaking, acting, walking, or living our lives with the dove in mind. I'm going to be real honest with you. I keep pointing to my shoulder. I searched Amazon a lot this week for a dove that I could set like a parrot on my shoulder. I actually thought about about like buying a parrot and just spray painting it. Why? But I really want to encourage you to have this visual with you as you go through not only this week, but through the rest of your life is that we need to be walking with God's Holy Spirit in mind. Is what I'm doing holy? Is what I'm saying holy? Is the way that I'm treating others holy? Is the way that I'm living with my spouse? Is the way that I'm relating to my kids, the rest of my family? Is the way that I'm behaving on social media? Is it holy? That's a pretty simple yes, no answer. And that computes in my mind because if the answer is no, then I don't need to do that. 
right? If I can look through this, this metric and this barometer and say, is it holy? Does it please God? If it says yes, keep doing it. If it says no, then quit trying to justify it. You missed a good spot to respond there because we're all really guilty of that right? Even in the biblical times, even when Jesus was introducing thoughts and concepts, they were, people were trying to change the subject because they got uncomfortable because they were guilty. Jesus is like, you know, repent for the kingdom of God. Saying, yeah, but let's talk about taxes. What about taxes? Well, you need to do, well, what about this on the Sabbath day thing? What about my brother? How often should I forgive him? Because you know, he's probably more guilty than I am. And we're guilty of that same thing, right? It's like when we have to answer that question, if the answer to the question is, no, it's not holy, then we got to look at, well, you know, I mean, I understand that, but, you know, maybe, you know, God, there's some extenuating circumstances here. Oh, is it holy? Then great, do it. Say it, be it, act that way. But if it's not, then at least pause long enough to consider it. And don't go justifying it just because it's something you like to do or that you want to do. And I, I, we kind of see this concept in Ephesians, right? Because it says that, you know, um, do not be angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And that's not just a marital verse. You'll hear that most of the time. Don't, don't go to bed angry, and if you do go to bed angry, make sure before you fall asleep that you talk to your spouse and get everything. So ladies, basically, that's what they're say, what's saying here is that if you're mad at your husband, don't let him go to sleep. <laughs> the email address is thomas.mcclure. No, I'm just, okay. For your complaints. That's not just a marital verse. If you have anger... If you have issue towards someone else, anyone else, Scripture's telling us don't let the sun go down on your anger. We need to be taking care of that. There needs to be resolution to that. You don't need to let it, let it fester inside of you. Because 27 tells us that that gives opportunity to the devil. And if there is anyone who does not need a second chance or a, a follow-up invitation to do something, it's the devil in your life. He'll take every opportunity he can. Then it goes on to say, let the thief no longer steal, but father, let, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then it follows with, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Out of your mouths. And the thing that, that really gets me about this scripture is sometimes the people who quote this scripture the quickest and the most about we don't need to be angry are the ones who have the worst attitudes about people who don't have the same moral values that they have like sometimes the people who are preaching about don't be angry are the ones that you can see have the most amount of anger for people who won't work okay so we're getting this list, right? I mean, it's like, you know, we got this. We like this part. Like, oh, I don't want to be angry. You don't need to do that. Dove, gone. And again, I used a couple of examples last week. Get behind somebody in traffic that cuts you off. Oh, that dude. Ooh, ooh. 
that dude that flies around you on 64 just to slam in front of you to get off the same exit? Like, right, you're like 500 feet before the exit. He's like, Ooh, just want to bless him real good when I get behind him there. Oh, 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 how about this one? How about this one? You're, in a, you're nearing a construction zone, and there's clearly signs as to which lane is closed. You're being a good Jesus-loving citizen, and you're already in that lane. Then someone who, there's no other explanation other than being under the influence of Satan himself, <laughs> will even go onto the shoulder to cut around you so that they get that extra spot in line. Right? Ooh, Jesus bless them. You see, the bad part is most of the moments like that, the way that we react, dove, gone. What about that person, or that situation that hurts your kids? About that classmate? About that teacher? About that family member? What about that person? That's not doing right by your kids. Any mama bears in here? Any mama bears? We got to be careful, right? Be angry as long as it's righteous. Be angry as long as it's holy. And when you figure that one out, how to do that all the time, please come and let me know. I'm not saying that somebody needs to know, but <laughs> I need to know right? See, these are the things that grieve God's Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. So let's look just real quickly. I want to talk to you a few things about how we understand Holy Spirit's working in our lives and how we, we, we need to make sure that we're doing our best not to grieve Him. So let's, let's set out to have as much as possible a spirit that dwells inside of us that's ungrieved. The first realization that we need to have uh, is one that we've already covered, but I want to hit again really quickly to not grieve the Holy Spirit is understanding that He is a person. Holy Spirit is a person. Now, listen, you've got to be careful when you're talking about this because there's actually been some materials put in my hand this past week and I've heard some, some comments and some, some stories and messages about how that some people have a theology that the Holy Spirit is an actual person. Like flesh and blood. Like walking around type person. That's not what we're talking about. You find that, you hear that, you go, oh, hmm, okay, garbage can. That's not what this is saying. Holy Spirit is a person. Just as God the Father is a person, Jesus Christ the Son is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person and has personal characteristics. He can be grieved. There's an emotional concept to the Trinity, to Holy Spirit. And this, this should help us to understand because most of us war with our emotions, don't we? At least I do. If you want to see my emotional state, some of the times look for the biggest train wreck that you can find. 
Like we all deal with this and we wonder and sometimes we view our emotions as our enemies, but understand that our Creator is an emotional being as well. And we need to understand that, that as we move to not be someone who grieves the Holy Spirit, we have to understand that Holy Spirit is a person. The, the next thing I want to remind us is that He is relationship. Holy Spirit is relationship. And see, and that's one of the, this is another one of the parts of Christianity that's unique to all other faiths in the world because even, and even some that would call themselves like pseudo Christian, like the Unitarian belief, which believes that it's just a singular God, they, they would contend to a certain degree that we had to be created by this singular God so that there would be an element of relationship that there was something missing for Creator God before us. And what we see with the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is that relationship has always been. God didn't need us for relationship. He wants us for relationship. He wants us for that interaction. He doesn't need it. And we have to understand that because they, in the Trinity, He in the Holy Spirit, has always ever been a relational Trinity, then we do not have the option of hosting Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us and not being relational. I hope that makes sense. Because for people who are somewhat naturally introverted like me, Sometimes I have to will relationship to happen. Let me, let me take you back to let me take you back to a darker time about three years ago. Who remembers the onset of COVID? Like, right? That two weeks to flatten the curve? <laughs> so out of the three of us in our household, two of us at that time were incredibly introverted. One of us, not so much. Incredibly extroverted. My wife's the extrovert. Okay? Rachel and I put us in a back of a cave somewhere, man. We're living our best life at that moment. So we were all, we all three found ourselves on like opposite ends of the house. I was on one end, Rachel's on the other, Kim was smack dab in the middle. And then all of a sudden we would be back there doing our thing, working whatever we were doing. And then all of a sudden we just hear her start crying and she'd be like, somebody come talk to me. And me and Rachel were texting back and forth, your turn. <laughs> Tag, you're it. Oh, I wish I was making that up to get a laugh. <laughs> but we have a spirit that's dwelling in us that moves us towards relationship. And not only a relationship with one another, but relationship with God. Amen? Because it's, it's not just about, it's not just about our relationship with one another, but it's about that. It's not just about our relationship with Jesus, but it's about that. And He's so much, so relational, that, that we learn that Jesus taught that if you come to the altar, 
to pray and to offer sacrifice, but yet you have ought against someone else, then lay your sacrifice at the altar. Go make things right. Go restore that relationship. So Jesus is saying that, yes, this is the most important relationship you have, but this relationship is also affected by those relationships. So before you try to be obedient in this relationship, make sure that the others are good also. He is relationship. And lastly this morning, He is transformation. He is transformation. If you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but there is absolutely no difference in you now as to before you gave your heart to Jesus, you may want to examine the state of your salvation. Now, listen, I'm still, again, a train wreck. I mess up far more frequently than what I want to. Like I said, that be imitators of Christ is something that I fall woefully short about on a daily basis. But the one thing that I can say is that there is a difference in the bin before Jesus and the bin that you see up here now. Now that transformation has not always been pretty. It's not always been smooth. Sometimes it's been a step forward, two steps back. Sometimes it's been two forward and one step back. But there is slowly but surely becoming a difference. You are not truly a host of God's Holy Spirit in your life if He is not transforming you. If your life, if your attitude, if your walk, if your talk, if your relationships, if they don't look differently than what they did beforehand, you may want to check the status of where you think you are with God. Again, that's not judgment. That's just making a statement. It's like there's no way Holy Spirit can abide and remain in us without us being transformed. So here's the question. The last thing that I want to leave us with is a little bit of a challenge this morning. We're going to pray this prayer here in just a minute. But I'm going to read this first. It says, God, reveal the areas in my life that grieve Your Holy Spirit. Praise Him if you would please come back up this morning. And once, once they get up here, and once they settle, we are going to pray this prayer together. Now, I will say this as we're kind of getting settled. If, if you get overwhelmed with this, because it does say areas, if you get overwhelmed with how many areas that God is revealing, you can amend this prayer. Like I prayed one time, like several years ago, God, show me every area in my life that's falling short of your glory. By the end of that day, I was like, can I amend this, please? Because God honored and answered that prayer. And I was like, let's go one at a time. Or let's go one at a time. So, as our closing prayer for this message, let's read this together. God, reveal the areas in my life that grieve your Holy Spirit. Amen.